Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain, where each episode we'll sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry veterans to discuss innovation, technology, and the most exciting opportunities in trucking and logistics as we build the future of supply chain together. Be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Senkar. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. And joining me today is Mark Ford, COO of Blue Grace. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So, Mark, let's jump right into it here. And for some of our listeners, there'll be a familiarity with Blue Grace, but would love to kind of just get the 90-second overview of what you and the team down in uh, Florida are building and working on. Yeah. So I think part of what you know, the first statement I'll make, it will seem like sort of a canned response that you'll get from a lot of people in our space. But, you know, Blue Grace is a, th- a full service, you know, third party logistics company. So, and that is true. We do offer all services. We're mode agnostic, which is, you know, a huge benefit to our clients. But I think our major differentiator in the marketplace is we're one of a handful of companies that can do, you know, LTL and truckload extremely well. And then just the flexibility in the, in the way that we're integrated with our customers, all the way from an outsource, which we call managed logistics, you know, down to the bid and spot level. And it's also important to, to relate that we are internally tech enabled. And I think when you, I think there's a, you know, I think there's a, a miss, you know, perception out in the, the industry that before the DFMs or the DFBs or whichever, whatever you want to call them came into our space that, you know, all of us were using spreadsheets and homing pigeons to conduct business. So <laughs> we build a lot of tech in-house and we've spent a lot of money and continue to build a lot of differentiating tech, you know, inside of our walls. So, you know, we're, we're going to jump into bits and pieces of that that you just brought up. But talking about the person, about Mark Ford, you know, you've had a prolific career leading a variety of 3PL operations. But like, what, what's the story there? How did you get into this business? How did you ultimately end up here as CEO of Blue Grace? Uh, that's, a great, that's a great question. You know, I, I mean, I kind of walked backwards into it, but, you know, my... Unlike a lot of people in our industry, my background from an educational standpoint is in supply chain, but there is a large level of a sales component involved in our industry. So you don't have to necessarily have that background, but through, you know, the Michigan state supply chain organization, you know, I was connected with, you know, companies in our space and that's how I originally got, you know, into the business but a little bit about how I'm internally wired, you know, my DNA, you know, that I have the way that my brain is wired, you know, I've, I've never, I I wasn't always fascinated with trucks, but I was always enamored with concepts like minor league baseball and analytics and metrics and, you know, simulations and all that kind of stuff. And once I kind of figured out that you can, you know, take, concepts from all of those things that I really, you know, that did interest me at an early age and apply it to logistics, I was hooked. And, and I think, you know, from, from a personal development and experience level, I've been fortunate in, you know, some of the past, you know, companies that I've been involved in with the different, you know, approaches and cultures and, you know, a lot of the different mentors that I've actually had that, you know, prior to, you know, that led up to the coyote and blue grace type of, 
you know, part of my career that allowed me to actually develop, you know, my own approach to how I build a carrier sales and execution team. And I think I've been, you know, you know, fortunate in that area. And I think I've been able to carve a niche, you know, in this massive industry, which is a, is a cool thing to see. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly say so. And kind of with that for the folks listening, like what's your charge? What are your responsibilities as COO of Blue Grace? Yeah, it mostly all things that involve truckload. So when you talk about the strategy, uh, mostly on the execution side and fulfillment side. So when you're talking about the carrier sales piece of the business, you know, from the employee development, from creating the strategy, and also from identifying, you know, suppliers or different companies that we integrate with, all you know, down to the tech that we use to enable, you know, our employees internally and, and make it easier for them to do their own jobs. And, you know, you, you mentioned earlier on kind of this unique value proposition where Blue Grace is great, both truckload as well as LTL. Like explain that and, and maybe expand on that. Why is that important? What does that mean? Sure. When, when someone's looking for you know, an outsourced managed, you know, you know, if, if that's the solution that they're actually looking for, you know, some companies may be good at one mode or the other mode and, you know, truckload and LTL are, you know, prime, the primary drivers in our industry. So the fact that we can do all of those well is, is a massive differentiator, you know, on the LTL side of things, you know, the asset-based companies are very protective of who they do business with. And, you know, a lot of our roots are on that LTL side of things. My roots are in truckload. And that's why I got involved with Blue Grace, you know, because I saw that opportunity that a company that already had this product built out that's hard, you know, for other companies to get access to, you know, they already had that driver and that foundation built on it. And, you know, I just, I've been, you know, a truckload heavy guy my whole, you know, career. And I think that was just kind of a perfect matchup for us. And so when you're talking about an outsource piece, you know, we can go to our customer and say, look, we can do all of this. And, you know, we have, you know, the internal resources to compete and to give you a reasonable cost and, and a good cost and, you know, to serve. Very interesting. So, you know, let's kind of shift gears here and, and talk a little bit about state of the market. 2020 obviously was a year like none other, I think, across like, again. <laughs> like every facet of, yeah. of life. But kind of coming into 2021, you had hot freight markets, a lot of it driven by e-com as well, because there's a lot of kind of uh, reevaluating mm -hmm. and thinking about how things work yep. in a more remote world. But I'd be curious, we're five, six weeks into 2021, kind of where are we today? Supply, demand, pricing? Yeah, I think the, the important thing to, to address before you actually go into the market in general, it's, it's important that you are able to flex no matter what the market and adjust to what the market conditions because they're always changing and no one would have predicted you know in february or march of last year that we were about to go through what we went through and i think companies that are successful in our industry in our space have that ability you know they have that innate sense to just you know kind of be able to flex when when things actually you know start going in directions there's some sort of predictability typically year over year to what we do. And I think that's what you're kind of seeing now. You know, you never want to associate the word typical in the world that we're living in today because nothing really is typical. But you're seeing similarities in, you know, the first quarter this year that you would, you know, typically, you know, see, 
you know, from a, you know, first quarters in years past, but, you know, you know, like we went through last year, we, we were seeing a similar first quarter last year until, you know, February, March came along and then, you know, all blank, you know, broke loose. And, and I think that's when everybody had to kind of figure out, not just from a you know strategy perspective, but you also now had to figure out from internally how you operate, you know, how are you going to succeed? And lucky for us, you know, our platform is web-based. And so, and we've been through this, you know, we had the polar vortex a couple of years ago in Chicago and we had, to, we had no choice. Our employees just couldn't get to work. And so, you know, they, you know, work from home. You know, we had the hurricanes and, you know, a few years back, you know, going up through, you know, Florida and, and our employees, you know, for a few days for the, ma the majority of our employees had no other choice but to work from home. So we were prepared from that angle. The, the, the stuff that you can't predict is, you know, what is the market going to do when, you know, you have certain events that are just out of your control? It's just how do you communicate and, you know, how do you, you know, what type of relationships do you have with your customers? And I think that's year over year. That's what actually will, you know, you know, help companies survive. And, and I, I guess a lot of what you're kind of saying is like there's a typical and I guess you have to use the word typical very thoughtfully here, mm -hmm. but there's a seasonality. Yes. To the freight markets. And we might right now be seeing mm -hmm. kind of this normal seasonality. Yeah. You typically will go through the retail pushes in the, in the second half of the year. And that will normally slow down mid-December. And then you'll start to see a little bit of a correction in, in, the, you know, in our market as a whole. Now, that wasn't really true at the end of last year. There were certain markets that you expected to come back, say, in July through August that literally stayed you know, at a capacity, just, you know, deficit type of, you know, area for a lot longer than you anticipated. But, you know, just, you know, being able to execute to the commitments that you've made to your customers during those times, you know, that actually is a huge driver, you know, to our success. But yeah, we're, we're seeing some of the similar, you know, capacities freed up a little bit. And I think, you know, we'll hit upon that in another, you know, part of this segment. But yeah, you're seeing, you know, a little bit of market pressure ease. It's nothing drastic, but you're, you know, you're seeing a, a typical, some of the typical seasonality of a first quarter is, is true today. And kind of looking at secular changes, some of that demand that we've seen from e-com channels, kind of the shift in where people are purchasing, mm -hmm. wanting to be fulfilled. Yep. Is that a 2020 story? Is that following us for, for years to follow? I mean, I think you know, you'll see part of that, you know, is, is normal. I mean, it, it's cheaper to buy stuff regionally than it is to buy something that, you know, is going to, you know, travel a thousand, two thousand miles. I mean, that's just, that's just reality. But I think, yeah, I think you're seeing a, you know, a more, you know, a, a change that will continue to to go that direction and, and you know, more local purchasing power, which is the e-commerce and the last final mile, final mile. But there's always just still going to be how did the goods get to that point, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So you're always going to have, you know, some sort of a, because you can't afford to have warehouses, you know, just, I mean, it's just not economical to have, you know, thousands of facilities throughout the whole co country. So you're still going to have a component of, you know, warehouse to warehouse type of you know, transition and, and all that kind of good stuff. So I think you'll, you'll definitely see the, a big, you know, need in, in the final mile space, but you're still going to have a large component of OTR and truckload and, and LTL. So, you know, you, you mentioned the managed transportation mm -hmm. offering. We'd, we'd love to kind of delve into that a, a bit more because a lot of what you do is 
as as a large shipper, I can kind of outsource my mm-hmm. brain to the experts here, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think it starts with you know having a more detailed understanding of our client's supply chain overall. You know, because if you're going to be responsible for you know facilitating the transportation piece, you know, there's there's a lot of data you know exchange and there's a there's a level of integration that. You know, you still see somewhat, you know, of that type of integration and in, in just traditional type of accounts. But, you know, it is, you know, they're relying on you for more, you know, analytics, you know, so that at the end of the day, you know, they're able to make smarter, you know, business decisions with the other parts of their business. And they can be confident that their transportation part of it is, you know, taken care of. And, you know, when we talk about that, there is, you know, we talk about transparency in the industry. When you have that level of commitment and you have that level of engagement with a client, there is more transparency in that. I mean, just from a natural perspective, you know, you need to be held accountable that you're giving them a fair market rate. And at the same point in time, you know, they have to be, you know, open to sharing information and giving us the, you know, the time in order to execute on what we said we were going to execute on. So, you know, when you do talk about that, you know, it is, you know, and it can be, you know, from an engagement of, all of their business. It can be from a, you know, mode perspective and it can be from a facility perspective, but most of our clients are, you know, from an outsource perspective or managed transportation, a full all in. So, you know, on, on the piece around transparency, that's interesting kind of how you state it. Cause it requires a long-term commitment in a relationship. It's hard to be truly transparent when one is being transactional is mm-hmm. I think what Absolutely. You, you had mentioned kind of pre-call here. You know, is, is there any way to solve that? And, and I think when we talk about transparency, we mean price transparency, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of other things. Yeah. I think when you're talking about transparency, there's the obvious things that make total sense. You know, no one should really have to guess where a truck is at any point in time. You know, as consumers, you know, we've been wired to want that information available to us at our fingertips. When you order something, you know, you're used to getting that, hey, we received your order. You know, it's, you know, we're processing it. It's on its way. It's about to get delivered and all that kind of stuff. It's same as in transportation. You know, our customers, even though you know they're going to outsource the business to us, they still want that level of visibility. And so when you talk about transparency from a data perspective and location perspective, that seems to be like just, you know, yeah, we all want that. Even from a compliance perspective, it would be great at the end of the day if you didn't have to, you know, guess on which, you know, carrier you should use or you shouldn't use. You know, we have a higher level of compliance in-house. So it's actually harder to move freight with us than most of our you know, competitors and for good reason. And, you know, so those are the, the areas where transparency makes, you know, certain sense. And when you talk about a level of engagement or commitment, of course, yes. I mean, you know, transparency builds trust. And so that, that makes a lot of sense, but from a transactional perspective, and you start talking about transparency, when I make 300 bucks, you know, or I lose $1,800. What happens when we make that transparent? Is there going to be some sort of a rate correction or, and then there's also the, you know, the level of investment that we had. I mean, we spent a lot of money on technology. We spent a lot of money on employee development. You know, we spent a lot of money in, so that doesn't necessarily translate into, you know, a, a customer rate versus carrier cost and, you know, a plus versus minus. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's, you know, 
the level of commitment and, and engagement really does kind of make sense when you talk about transparency. But there is certain things that, you know, there's certain level, there's going to be transactional business in this, yeah. in this industry. I mean, it's just, you know, there's no way around it. But, you know, I think that's where it kind of, you know, it, it's a little bit of a gray area and, and doesn't make as much sense or it's hard to justify, you know, yeah. from both perspectives. You know, it's just, you know, it's a capitalistic society and, you know, we're not making a killing on any transaction. We're happy to say that we pay a, a fair rate to our carriers and we give a fair rate to our customers. And that's the name of the game. And we, you know, deliver a, a high level of service involved in between that. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's an interesting point, and, and and I think a very fair point to raise that that no other guest has brought up before. Kind of shifting here to technology, you you mentioned kind of you have deep roots in technology. You've mm -hmm. invested in technology yep. on behalf of the relationships that you look to win and and develop. What does that mean? Like, how how have you all gone about prioritizing it and developing these competencies? Sure. From our perspective, what we've kind of internally decided to do is, you know, focus on the things that differentiate us in the marketplace, um, build out those, you know, applications that, you know, are going to give us a competitive advantage and not try to recreate the wheel in some of the other things. Like when you talk about, you know, tracking and, you know, just document sharing and all this kind of stuff, there are companies that have already figured that piece out. And there's companies that, you know, that carriers and shippers already integrated with. So, you know, for us, you know, bringing another app or another platform to the marketplace just doesn't make a lot of sense. It actually makes it harder for our customers and carriers to do business with us. So, yep. you know, so I think internally what we've done is we've really kind of, you know, focused in on those pieces of our business that we can actually build something that we consider to be a competitive advantage for our internal users and for our external you know, community. So, you know, not to try to, you know, not, not to be too transparent there and, 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 you know, but we, ha we have, you know, you know, some, you know, publications that were sent out and certain things that we have built and designed in house and stuff like that. So it's not hard to just to see some of that, but, you know, but that's what we're really kind of focused in on. And, you know, it's, for us, it's, it's, it makes sense, you know, back 10, 15 years ago, when there weren't a bunch of different platforms in the marketplace that, you could use, it made a lot of sense to build a lot of technology. It was a massive differentiator for you to have some of these, you know, things that you built out yourself. But today, I mean, I think that, you know, you've seen it, you guys are involved in a lot of this stuff. So I think it's, it's really kind of, you know, choosing a strategy, picking what you want to build and, and then finding the right partners to partner, partner up with on some of the other things that don't differentiate you. Sure. And, and kind of my follow-up here might be a little odd that I'm asking this as a VC, but equally, like I run into folks from industry who always ask me, like, why does technology matter? Like I have a culture, we have a way of doing stuff. You hit your quota every day, all that stuff. Like why does technology matter? And like, what are the benefits you all have seen from having this stitching internally? Yeah, I think it's it's making an employee's job internally. It's making an employee's job more enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than going, you know, in, into a job and, you know, you've graduated looking forward to starting a job and you're performing mundane, just not value added tasks. And I think you have to, you have to look at that where it makes a lot of sense, you know, and you have to give your customers a great experience or else they're not going to use you, but you also have to give your, your employees internally a, a good experience or, you know, they're not, they're not gonna, you know, want to stay either. And I think a lot of that, you know, get, you know, I think 
part of the conversation we had the other day is, you know, how, how do you get employees, you know, the stickiness of, of what you're doing? So you could build a great platform internally, but if you don't involve the right people and you don't get the buy-in, mm -hmm. it, you're not going to get them. You're not going to get the usability. You're not going to get the returns that you're actually looking for. So, you know, making these, you know, smaller type of, you know, you know, concept groups or whatever you want to call them, user groups or basis groups. And, you know, not everyone's wired to be a BA and spec out, you know, the, the but they can, but your employees can really, you know, effectively tell you how, you know, they do their job and how, and what would make it easier for them to do their job. Yeah. And I think that's the important part. So kind of in, in one of those points here, the, the whole concept of introducing technology or new ways to accomplish things like, that's probably the hardest part about innovating, like the change management mm -hmm. bit. How have you seen that best navigated? Yeah, I think part of it hits on, you know, what we just talked about and getting the right people involved. I mean, you have to get the user base, you know, involved on the front end side of things. And, you know, and then, you know, when you're about to, you know, roll something out, you better test it and make sure it works. You know, it's better to, to wait a couple of weeks and, Make sure that your product's not going to bust down because once you start building stuff that your employees use, if they don't have, you know, the right frame of mind that that's going to actually work, no matter how quickly you fix it, they always think that you're going to release something that's just busted. Yeah, trust. And, yeah, trust. I mean, it's, you know, and so I think we've, we spend a lot of time in-house, you know, going through that process and getting the power users involved. And I, I'm very involved on, on you know, the, the development side and, you know, we have a good user test user base inside. And, you know, I think that that's the, I think that's how you get the stickiness, you know, because at the end of the day, I don't think people are really going to fight doing something different as long as they feel like it actually makes a difference. You know, if it, if it's not going to make a difference and they have to do the same amount of clicks or it takes them the same amount of time, or you get that blue spinning, you know, circle of death that just comes on there and, you know, you're there waiting and waiting for information <laughs> and data to disappear. You're not going to have success no matter how good or the, the functionality at the end is going to, you know, it, it's going to be for you. It's just not going to be good for them. Yeah. So a lot of it also then has to do with speed. Then mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well. Um, and, you know, I'd be curious, how have you balanced like internal development, but then collaborating externally? And I know, I know some of this because you've shown up to some of our corporate mm -hmm. programs yep. uh, in, in years past, but I'd be curious, like how, how do you approach that with intention? You know, it, it's funny because some of some of the same providers that we have integrated with, you know, at Bluegrace, some of these same providers have been, you know, trying to, you know, trying to get me to do business with them in the past for years. I mean, some of these relationships have taken, you know, years worth of, you know, hey, I've I've watched your product from, you know, infancy stage through now you're at a, a point in time where it does make sense for us to, you know, sometimes when you have an early adopter from a, from a tech standpoint, you have a, you know, an early stage company uh, is a better way to put it. You know, sometimes you don't want to be the first user, yeah. you know, and so luckily enough, we had most of our technology built out in the past. And, you know, there was, you know, so I've watched a lot of these companies, you know, throughout the process. And so, you know, we're really not today integrated with, you know, companies, you know, that are really at that very infancy stage of their development, because we're not at the infancy stage of our development either. Yep. So, you know, we have to just be careful, you know, at that sense. So um, I think that's, that's pretty much, you know, you know, and, and the other things are you just have to sit down and really kind of take a look at, you know, the drivers of what is going to, you know, 
you don't, there's a finite resource in technology. There's time, you know, it takes time to build something. It takes time to scope something. And it's, you know, if you're not get, if you're not recreating the wheel here and you don't have to recreate the wheel, like I said before, you should really kind of look internally and just say, okay, these are the pieces of our business that we're okay with that aren't a differentiator. And now how do we go out and, you know, really, you know, analyze the, the options that are out there. And so we do spend a lot of time because everyone wants to think that their tech does this and does that. Yep. And at the end of the day, if you don't test it properly um, and it doesn't do, you can make a colossal mistake and you can lose accounts that way. So you have to really be careful when you do that. You know, and so I think we're, you know, we've got a, a nice collection of people in house that have that experience and, and have over time built up the, the relationships to, you know, kind of know what products are capable of doing, you know, certain things. So you, you, there are a few threads there that I'd like to pull on because as uh, or an early stage company approaches a 3PL like Blue Gray, so even broadly speaking, you mentioned kind of one thing like know the customer as in mm -hmm. are we an early adopter? Are we a late adopter? What do we value as yep. proprietary advantage versus not? But are there, are there other items that founders should be aware of just, you know, approaching a 3PL broadly, mm -hmm. buying behavior, yep. uh, how they think about pricing. How, how should founders parse all this? Yeah. I think when you're, when you're looking at the 3PLs, we're not, I mean, we all have similar services that we offer, right? But I think we all have a little piece that makes us a little bit different. So I think, you know, if you're using a canned approach with every single sales call or, you know, every, you know, sales approach, you know, from a, from a lead development standpoint, you're, you're only get, that's only going to resonate with a certain percentage of, you know, of your target audience. So I think, you know, having a, a deep understanding of what it is that differentiates the company, you know, in our case, Blue Grace from somebody else and really kind of, you know, trying to figure out, does my product actually offer some sort of solution? Because at the end of the day, you only have a finite number, you know, amount of time as well. And if you're wasting your time, you know, approaching people that you can't, you know, fulfill or you can't, that, that don't need your product, you may miss out on an opportunity somewhere else. And I, and I'm, and I, I want to go back to that statement because I think it wouldn't be fair for me to say that we only work with, with companies that are mature. There are certain, you know, functions within our industry as a whole that aren't mature. And so, you know, it's it's easier mm -hmm. to for us to actually grow together, you know, with that relationship and 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 work out some of the kinks as we as we start doing that. But, you know, in our core critical pieces of our business, you know, especially when you come to it comes to the managed transportation side of it, you can't really afford you know, a data snafu or taking a company down or not giving visibility and stuff like that. So I think it's important to kind of, you know, go back to that and say there are certain things within our building that are more mature than others. And we'll usually use a more mature product. And there are other things that we, you know, can afford to actually, you know, integrate with. And, and you know, so I don't want, you know, because I've been at this startup phase too, you know, I mean, it would be yeah. unfair to say, hey, only look at, you know, companies that are mature, you know, and even, you know, within the walls of Blue, Blue Grace, Truckload wasn't a, you know, a massive part of our service offering until, you know, the years that after I arrived and that's, you know, and we've made a, a nice transition into that space and, you know, we've done very well there. And so, you know, we were kind of in that startup phase yeah. as well. So. Yeah. 
So, you know, we're kind of in this part of the, the calendar year where people are talking about RFPs and contracting freight. And as a managed provider as well, mm-hmm. this is something that, that's very much kind of square in, in your world. I'd be curious. There's a headline this morning that I'd shared with you that mm-hmm. there's like a fatigue setting in. Yeah, I think you know the whole the whole approach to bid packages is is just something that if you look, it, it, the way you approach it is really going to at some point determine the success that you have at it. Now you know you have to. Most companies have to perform a bid because they want to lock down a certain amount of their you know consistent lanes and you know they want to have some sort of way to create a budget. I mean, we all understand that that that's the normal part of the equation. So, but if your reasoning is to win in the current market conditions, that's where, you know, this process becomes a game and in games, someone always, you know, wants to win. Right. And unfortunately you win when the market's good, you lose when the market's bad when you're in, in those situations, because your providers understand what game you're playing mm-hmm. and, you know, they're only going to be as loyal to you as you are to them. And so, you know, when you go through this whole process, if you're constantly only changing and timing your bids and when market conditions are good, when the market conditions flip, you're going to get hit just as bad. Your freight's going to now go to the spot market at a higher percentage. Your rates are going to increase and you're going to complain to your providers that they're not holding you know, to their commitments. But at the same point in time, if you're not holding on to those commitments when, you know, the market conditions are better, you know, for your providers that they can capitalize a little bit, you know, to mitigate some of, you know, the times when it does turn, then that whole process just becomes, you know, it becomes confusing and fatigue can set in on both sides because, you know, nobody wants to, it's a, it's a long process. It's not easy to process, you know, a bid and come up with a strategy. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of thought that goes into it. You know, there's a lot of information that's exchanged and, you know, because they're looking for you to lock down, you know, your commitments. And so, yeah, I can see, you know, bid fatigue and, and right now, you know, what you hate seeing is at the sniff of a, a favorable market from the shipper's perspective, a whole bunch of new bids now start coming in when either, whether it's a mini bid or a rebid, you know, and that's the, that's the good part about, you know, our managed transportation side of it is it's transparent throughout the whole process. So the level of trust that exists there doesn't require this shift and bid it. I mean, we're, we have a baseline that we're held accountable for and it adjusts with the market. Yeah. And so, but there's a full transparency to that. And sometimes with the market indices that are out there, you know, our data is better than what most data because we're live data and we have a lot of data and that is a massive differentiator for us in the marketplace too and you know sometimes we're i mean most of the time we're able to you know see the trends and communicate those trends and our customers actually appreciate the fact that we will communicate hey the west coast market um, for us is softening up You, you you're seeing right now if you look at an indice we're able to actually transact on that business in a very positive you know, manner for you. But conversely, sometimes we have to adjust our rates before the indices, you know, and so yep. because they're always fluctuating. But, you know, I think you look at that and I, if you have enough partners that you've had in, in, in your building or you've been doing business with for years and you develop that level of trust, you're not going to be held to this bid package or, you know, held ransom to this bid package, you know, cycle every single year. I think the companies that don't get it, you know, they're not going to be that shipper of choice. You know, that's just if you're only looking at it from a positive sign on your side. So 
I think that that's where you're seeing a certain amount of that from, you know, both sides. And, and it's just usually always it, when the market is flat, you know, you don't really have a lot of these discussions. Yeah. But, you know, when the market shifts, either you're you're a shipper and you're on the bad side of that equation when, you know, the market goes up and now you have a bunch of, you know, what you consider to be contractual freight that's now hitting the spot market. But if you have those, you know, providers that you've been doing business with, you, you don't usually go through those, you know, or you're able to manage those ebbs and flows a lot easier. Yeah. Well, I, I think it all speaks to because the relationship is focused on the long term, you can withstand like mm -hmm. the short term ups and downs because yeah. both parties have their eyes on the prize. Here. Absolutely. But kind of last question here for you, I'd, I'd be curious, kind of where do you see opportunity thinking about the supply chain? Now that could be over the road, it could be international, warehousing, wherever. Yeah. But I think from, from our side, you know, I'll, I'll just really kind of focus on our space. I think you're going to continue to see, you know, the trend up in, you know, in managed transportation, um, especially in the small to medium sized companies, because now, you know, for them, you know, the, the number of providers in our industry and even the number of, you know, the amount of tech in our industry. I mean, when you start looking at, you know, you know, where, where there's, you know, opportunities, you know, that managed transportation, they're looking for predictability and reliability. Right. And I think that that solution offers that. And, and if you do it right, but at the same point in time, I think, you know, as an industry, we could be getting into, you know, an app slash platform overload Yeah, where, you know, our, <laughs> there's, there's as much tech these days, it seems like as carriers, you know, so you look at a fragmented <laughs> industry and now you have a fragment, you know, you went from one side of the equation where people thought there was no tech in our industry. And now you're looking at, you know, a massive amount of, of tech and it's just becoming confusing for everyone. So for yeah. the small to medium sized companies, they don't have the time to vet these platforms. They don't have, you know, the resources to do their due diligence on the number of carriers that are out there and even manage the number of carriers that exist out there. And I think you'll see that continued trend in that space towards the managed transportation side. And I think you will find a little bit of, you know, if you call if you call it bid fatigue, well, there's a little bit of an app fatigue because the last thing you want, the last thing a driver wants to do is download another app. Yeah. Last thing a shipper wants to do is, is is connect with another platform and all that kind of stuff. So yep. I think it's really going to be, you know, which you know of these are going to survive throughout this process, and and I think that that's what you'll you'll see. And I think we've talked about we've already hit on the transparency side of things. It makes sense to to be transparent in certain spec, you know, you know pieces of our business and other other it's really hard to justify yep yep mark this has been an awesome conversation really appreciate you coming on here uh and look forward to seeing what uh, the rest of the year brings us all <laughs> same here man <laughs> thanks again thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked and be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice until next time.